previously on Film Code. After weeks in the hole, the guys finally broke out as Nick and Phoenix cracked Nathan's code word. Oh, honorably not being able to handle any more disappointment, I didn't do all too much research, but I think I have a decent one. Um, so I'm just gonna go Ocean's 8, right? A lot of wonderful women, wonderful actresses in there. Um, and then Kate Blanchett was in Thor Ragnarok, and I'm just gonna keep it at that. Oh man, I didn't even think of Ocean's 8. That's a good guess. Crap. Oh damn, I, damn, I hope I'm riding the train, baby. We win oh, it together, we lose. <laughs> oh damn. All right, now I feel, I don't know how I feel about my pick. All right, but so you said 2014 to 2019. I went with a movie that was 2018. Uh, you said two of the actors had won an Oscar, correct, for their performance? Yes. All right. Viola Davis won for Fences, and Robert Duvall has won an Oscar. I don't remember for what movie. Uh, three people who were nominated for Oscars. Liam Neeson was nominated for Schindler's List. Cynthia Erivo was nominated for Harriet. And Daniel Kaluuya was nominated for Get Out. And Daniel Kaluuya was in Black Panther, which is in phase three of the MCU. So I went with 2018's Widows, directed by Steve McQueen. And I did the same research that Phoenix did. Ah, uh, nice. And Robert Duvall actually won for Tender Mercies um, yeah. in like the 80s or something like that. So going with Widows as well, trying to split. I, my first guess with, was with KJ with Ocean's 8, but- That's a good one. I don't think enough people won for or got nominated slash one. So we'll see. All right. Well, those all good guesses. Thank you all for doing the research. Um, like I said, I would be happy if people got it, and I am, because Phoenix and Nick got it yes. correct. Yes. So <laughs> it was with Queen. Now, can the streak continue with Brandon's code word this week? And... The guys review the new film starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. It's Judas and the Black Messiah. Plus, the guys break down their picks for the nominees for the Golden Globes and the Screen Actors Guild. All that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. Welcome to Film Code. My name is Phoenix Cloudin. I am joined by two of our great co-hosts. First off, Mr. Nick Spain. Nick, sir, how are you? Doing well, Phoenix. Super excited to be here again. Happy Valentine's Day. A week later from uh, when we record, I should have really said something last week since we do this in advance, but been up since 5 a.m. Um, not, not because I've been super excited for Valentine's Day, but just been up so super excited to to kick off this episode it feels like 6 p.m right now <laughs> <My name. laughs> and also joined by nathan pig nathan sir how are you 
I'm good, Phoenix. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? I'm great. Nobody asked how Phoenix um, is doing. <laughs> I'm uh, happy to be back with you boys talking movies. No better time uh, time than talking movies than with you guys right now. So hopefully you enjoy us listening. We've put out a ton of content as of late. WandaVision weekly reviews. WandaVision. We also do other side content. We've done Mandalorian, underrated actors. We've done collaborations with other shows as well as our big show here. So hopefully if you're new, if you're not, thank you for clicking on us and hopefully you can check out the rest of our stuff. Absolutely. And we're kicking off. Let's get right into it because this entire month, we're going to be covering some pretty big films. We've already done Malcolm and Marie. We've got uh, The Father and Nomadland coming out fairly soon. So we're really excited to get to those. But this week, a brand new movie dropped that we absolutely had to talk about. And that is Judas and the Black Messiah. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. This stars uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya and Jesse Plemons from uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things fame. Uh, <laughs> this uh, is a retelling of the story of Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya, uh, and the uh, events that led up to his eventual assassination. Uh, so this... Uh, a pretty dark movie directed by Shaka King, uh, produced by Ryan Coogler, which was interesting to see in the credits, and apparently shot directly on my street, like literally on my street. So that was hilarious to see in the movie. Uh, so overall, guys, I want to know what was your overall takeaway, spoiler free, on Judas and the Black Messiah? Yeah, well, I just want to comment first on on what you just said. You know, Phoenix, you and I are both from the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. And Nick and I recently visited uh, the Mansfield Reformatory, which is most famously where the Shawshank Redemption was filmed. And we mm-hmm. did a 
comprehensive tour. And what's funny is there's only a few jail scenes inside of this movie, and that's not spoilers or anything like that. But every time they'd show it, we were like, oh, that kind of looks like Shawshank. Wouldn't that be funny? Like, And then there's one outside shot. And we were both thinking the same thing, and Nick finally said it. He was like, oh, that definitely looks like Shawshank. So <laughs> looked it up. It was. That's wonderful. And then that's where it led me to see that a lot of it was filmed in Cleveland. So mm-hmm. that's just so cool. It's so cool. Personally, I didn't recognize any of the the other stuff other than the reformatory, but that's just me. Um, you you did, which is awesome. I don't know. It's just it's cool because the Avengers was shot in Cleveland, but at least I I mean I was twelve when that happened, so mm-hmm. I wasn't really cognizant or could do anything about it. But the fact that we could watch this and be like, whoa. That was actually shot cool. That's like the first time that's happened for me personally. But as far as the movie itself, um, I think Lakeith and Daniel do just a fantastic job in their roles. I think that's where you absolutely have to start. Jesse Plemons, I mean, Jesse Plemons is Jesse Plemons. (laughs) He's never going to be the star. He's never going to get the spotlight. He's never going to be the first thing you talk about. But at the end of the day, he's always fantastic. But to me, the biggest takeaway from... Judas is easily Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, the man is just an absolute talent. We knew that he's great in everything, especially with his breakthrough role in get out, but this might be his best performance even more so than get out. Um, especially as such an iconic figure as Fred Hampton, you know, it's funny because Fred Hampton is also a a character that appears in trial of the Chicago seven and him and Daniel Kaluuya just don't look at the, the actor that plays him in trial and Daniel Kaluuya just don't look alike. They just don't. So I was like, I wonder how this is gonna, like, I don't know. We get more time to look at his mannerisms and how he talks and just get to know him more as a character. And Kaluuya was, was out of this world. Fantastic. So that's my first takeaway from it. Yeah, definitely. Um, the performances were, were really good in this movie overall as a whole um you're right nathan it's funny to kind of see the same person that you had never seen in a movie before being like two blockbuster movies in the past year played by two totally different people i think daniel kalula looks more like fred hampton than um kelvin harrison jr yeah, whoever played him in that was Calvin Harrison. I didn't know that. I know, wow. yeah, yeah. Okay, he really looked I, different. I didn't know that. <laughs> I know um, where the film gets me is just in the story overall, and I feel like we'll get get into that later. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I have to agree with that uh, notion. The performances really just sell this movie overall. Daniel Kaluuya is a freaking stick a dynamite throughout this entire thing dude is amazing uh also you know Lakeith Stanfield man he does his he does his thing dude is uh pretty intense and uh he plays this role I think fairly well um also want to shout out Dominique Fishbank uh Dominique Fishbank who was also in uh Nathan's favorite movie earlier this year Project Power yes sir. Uh, <laughs> you, you stole it from me I was gonna talk about it <laughs> yeah. I'm, ha- I'm still happy to later yeah uh, but I don't, I still have yet to see that movie. I don't know how she does in it, but was incredibly standout here. So that's, that says something about her. I, I hope to see more from her in the future. Um, 
So this was a this was a a tour de force in performances. And I agree with Nick about the story. I think it's just a unique story, one that you know hasn't been. I won't say hasn't been told before, but definitely hasn't been seen on film before. So uh, overall, I just, I was, I was impressed with it. Yeah. So do we want to break the seal and talk spoilers? Uh, let's do it. Okay. So we're breaking the seal, talking spoilers for Judas and the Black Messiah available on HBO Max and in theaters. Yeah. By the way, Phoenix, thanks for the the plug on the HBO Max. We, we watched two movies on HBO Max yesterday. So yeah. Phoenix coming in clutch with the plug. Phoenix is yeah. probably going through his like HBO Max account. It's like, watch again. Pulp yeah, Fiction. Yeah, I was like. I, that Full Metal Jacket. He's like, Judas, I was going like, on? I was like, who watched this already? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for the for the hookup. Anyways, yeah. um, I do want to say, and, and people on Letterboxd constantly roast me for this. I do want to say expectations were very high. They were. And people on Letterboxd always say, well, Nathan, don't go into things with such high expectations. Okay, first of all, sometimes you just can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't. We watched Terminator a couple weeks ago. I mean, Terminator's Terminator. You've heard how iconic and great it is. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little disappointed. That doesn't mean it's not a good movie, but I was a little disappointed. And I'm sure that happens with people everywhere. The same can be said a little bit for Judas. This really in the last month kind of came out of nowhere like we knew this movie was coming we knew a little bit about the story it was trying to tell but i remember watching a video that was like we don't know if judas is gonna try for this oscars or next oscars so based on the release date we'll see we don't know if if lakeith is gonna be lead or if daniel kaluuya is gonna be lead we don't know what's gonna happen but over the last month this has really gained some steam yeah. And I have seen, especially movie Twitter, especially movie Twitter, has been all over this movie saying it's best picture winner, it's best screenplay winner. So at the end of the day, when I see that from so many accounts, I have to have high expectations. And it's not me being biased towards Judas. I'm going to have really high expectations for the movie we're talking about next week, and that's Nomad Land. <laughs> that's supposed to be the best picture winner, too. So. Trust me, I'm not playing favorites. That'll be the bar will be high. But I had a lot of expectations for this because if if average people like us, not critics, not critics, just casual film lovers, maybe people that have a podcast or a blog are saying this is that good. This should win best picture. Of course, my expectations are going to be high. And I feel like ultimately that that did hurt the experience a little bit. Uh, I'm of I'm of a slightly similar mindset. Like this was I I wouldn't say overhyped, but it was definitely hyped. And um, and I wa- I walked into it. I wouldn't say like I I I've had practice with keeping my expectations low. <laughs> well, you'll uh, need to teach me then. Yeah, but like especially this year only because I, a lot of people have said oh this is the the best picture of the year and then i watch it and i'm like this no <laughs> it's not even close uh, so like but this one i think was with with where i was at with it i i was thoroughly like just i walked away impressed impressed mostly with the filmmaking and the acting 
above all else. I think those things were just tremendous, told a really strong story. And yeah, like the, uh, the direction, it was all, it was all solid. It was all solid. The most standout part of it is without question the performances. And that's essentially where like, I would, I would be in favor of, you know, promoting this movie in those categories and I could see the best picture potential. I don't know if I would uh, give it to it, but I, I, I could see the best picture potential of it. Yeah, for me, this probably ranks, and, and I would have to sit down and actually go through my, my best picture rankings, but this is probably like fourth or fifth for me for best picture for next year. I th- like, like we've been talking about, the performances, the filmmaking, everything on that end was fantastic. I just think it really lacked in the story. I, as somebody who is really into history and really into biopics and especially this time period, just because of how much was going on. I mean, there were assassinations, there was Vietnam, there was civil rights there. There was so much going on, especially in 1968, which was just a crazy year, but there should have been, this should have been right up my alley, super, super interesting, but it just, there was nothing there for me. Like, I feel like when when they, you know, Daniel Kaluuya was giving speeches and Lakeith Stanfield was meeting with, you know, Jesse Plemons, I feel like those scenes were great. The the high energy, the motions, all that. But as soon as we got to like the in between parts, is kind of really where it 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 didn't. I wouldn't say fall flat. I would just say not what I thought it was going to be. It. it I couldn't agree with you more. Like, obviously, we uh, we watch it together. We talk about it. It's it's the story that that drags significantly. If you've got the performances at the top, and that's the best. Unfortunately, the worst thing I have to say is the story. But it's not bad. I, I don't want to miscommunicate right. that the story is not bad. It's just for a best picture winner, supposedly even a nomination. It's not super strong. It's just not, especially with the story they're trying to tell with Bill and trying to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and trying to get close to Fred Hampton. And, you know, we're talking spoilers, so eventually kill Fred Hampton. You would think a story like that would have a little more life in it. And that that's a problem. Like, there are shootouts. There are arrests. There are bombings there are giant hype speeches and and never or or excuse me only a few times you really like feel that it's funny because nick was reading the wikipedia page about what actually happened with this case and i'm sorry to say that just him reading the wikipedia page out loud sounded more interesting than the movie and i'm sorry to say that but it was like it just felt like it was a very important story that needed to be told. Has great performances. Filmmaking is great. It's just I think the story could have injected a little more life, could have injected a little more intrigue. And I agree with you in in a sense. Like there's certain moments where I feel like the editing was a little off, and that's what really kind of threw it off for me. Um, it was, and th- and then there were moments that weren't as important, or as, uh, I guess, vital to the story, like uh, 
the shootout that happens. It I feel like it it just happens sort of at random. It's just like it seems like right. like even as I was watching it, I was like that that seemed like a really bad idea. Like no matter no matter how you slice it, no matter how you feel about it, that just seems like a really bad idea. And I feel like if that could have been edited or written better to where maybe we understood the whole motivation behind it. But uh yeah, that was that was an issue that I had. And then the I, other issue was uh was it his name uh Jake, uh who like he went to like I guess Jimmy, you know, he got shot and he was in the hospital. He went to visit him, they wouldn't let him in, and he you know later finds out that Jimmy was taken away and, and eventually killed. And yeah. he, he's he's trying to figure out what happened. And he goes to his friend who's a I guess a janitor at that hospital. Like to me, that that whole scene, I was just I don't know. I just didn't connect with it enough because it was like I didn't really understand their friendship. I don't feel like there was enough put in behind their friendship for that to make any enough sense. Uh and then his actions just seemed very erratic. Like again, like I said, like to me, it just felt like pacing, editing-wise, maybe even story-wise, it just wasn't the strongest because those moments sort of like, you know, if you're on this high with everything Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are doing, then there's these like really just big dips as far as emotion goes. I mean, for me personally, I wouldn't even say like pacing was the big issue. It was, it was, I feel with, with most movies, right? With most, and we love film. So of course we watch almost everything, but with most movies, I feel like there's either two goals to be entertained or to be informed. And I feel like most movies do one of those two things, if not both, this is most likely more of an informed story. And I didn't really learn a whole lot. Like I, I knew from trial Chicago seven that Fred Hampton was going to die. Someone was going to kill him. I had no idea Bill O'Neill was working with the FBI and tried to infiltrate the party. But honestly, other than those two things, I, I really couldn't tell you anything I learned. Like I knew about the black Panther kind of like hangout getting shot up and they only fired one shot compared to the police shooting a ton. Like I knew that happened and it's not the movie's job to teach me new things. Absolutely not. Like, I don't want to say this is a, a lesser movie cause they didn't teach me something I didn't know. But at, at the end of the day, like, it just kind of felt like after we watched it, when the credits rolled, it was like, what did I take from this story? Mm. Right. We can talk about Shaka King all we want. We can talk about Daniel Kaluuya all we want, but like, what did this story do for me? And honestly, I can't really say it did a whole lot. And yeah. I, uh, Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say is that what's, what's this story about, right? It's about Fred Hampton, Black Panther Party. And it's about Bill O'Neill who had a troubled past, gets into, you know, cahoots with the FBI and eventually works his way up through the Black Panther Party to assassinate Fred Hampton. That on itself is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. I, if, if you told me that's what this movie about, I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm intrigued. But I think where they fumble it is how they tell the story. And, and this is a new segment to add on film code is how it should have happened. We can, <laughs> we can think of a clever name, but... If I'm in the screenwriting room, right, I'm focusing more on Bill's story. I I think I'd spend a little bit more time building him up as a character, 
show that he's been a criminal, a career criminal in the past, have, has, you know, had trouble in the past. And then he eventually meets this FBI agent. And then we meet Fred Hampton. I mean, a lot of people I saw online is like, you know, this story did justice for him and, and all these things. And, and while I agree with that, imagine if this story was told through Lucky Stanfield's character's eyes and Fred Hampton was this figure on a pedestal of the Black Panther Party. And he was kind of more of a symbolic character that we, we got glances of and we got to experience in the room with him but we never really got to see his perspective. Kind of like Orson Welles and Mank. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I can't think of a specific movie example other than that of, you know, somebody who's been built up on this pedestal as, you know, somebody who's important by other characters. But I feel like it would have been perfect as, as a story more of Bill O'Neill telling the story through his eyes. I mean, the inspiration probably comes from the ending scene where he's talking to the cameras and then he, you know, commits suicide after, after that interview goes live, mm-hmm. that I feel like is the inspiration for this story, obviously in, in the real life events. But if they told it through his eyes and made Fred Hampton, this big, you know, presence and just, you know, made it have that kind of feel, I feel like this would have been 100 times better. I, I will say it, it is an odd choice that they wanted to kind of like give justice to Bill O'Neill and his story, yet they decided to make us sympathize with Fred Hampton the whole time. Like <laughs> yeah. show his his love life, meeting his love. Like when we first see Fred in this movie, he hasn't met his future wife, mm-hmm. his future mother of his child. And then we see that relationship develop we see him in prison we see him giving these speeches we see him as a true leader and look like daniel clue is easily the best part of this movie fred hampton was great then make it a fred hampton movie like i just (laughs) i think it's odd that that you want to tell the bill o'neill story Mm -hmm. but instead give us half the bill o'neill story and almost all of the Fred Hampton during this time story. And then when it's time for Bill to kill Fred, you almost hate Bill for it because we spent so much, we spent so much time with Fred Hampton that we sympathize with him. We want him to live. We, we recognize him as this huge cultural importance as this huge leader, as someone that has had a rough time through this movie. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just odd. And like, Neither one is someone you shouldn't root for. It's right. just odd that they they told the story in this way. And and I agree with that um, because, yeah, maybe it was because Daniel Kaluuya was just that good and they were like, we need more of that. <laughs> like, it could be that situation. Um, but, yeah, to me, I, I 100% agree. Like, this, this feels like it was intended to be built uh, – Bill O'Neill's story and um it just it 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 sort of got split half and half and that's you know I I get it you know what I'm saying you got two incredible talents in Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya you want to you want to see them both get as much screen time as possible uh but yeah the overall story sort of suffers because 
you know, we're, we're seeing this through the prism of two characters who aren't really terribly connected. Like you notice that they don't have a lot of scenes together together. Took, took the words right out of my yeah. mouth. Like, we want to believe that Bill O'Neill is getting close to Fred, that he's getting this great relationship with him, almost like a, um, a Frank and Jimmy Hoffa scenario yeah, where yeah. get close to him so you can take him out. Right. But um, so you can we don't see house. him together that much. We don't yeah. see him together. Yeah. And because we don't see them together, like they all, ha they each have their like sort of individual perspectives that we're looking at. And, uh, <laughs> and um, that, yeah, that, that can work for a little bit, but it, it does, it does create like an uneven, uh, storytelling experience and also because the entire time I was sitting up here thinking I was like because we're seeing so much of uh you know Fred Hampton's perspective I was I was amazed that it wasn't changing uh Bill O'Neill's perspective and and like ultimately we know like you know he eventually dies from this guilt because he recognizes that he was wrong but it's just amazing to me like nowhere during the process that he felt like this is wrong this is not the guy that they told me it was this you know what i'm saying and even 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 sort of towards the end as he kind of reckons with it he still goes for it with it and then it becomes more of a blackmail thing and that again like that's just more of the aspect i would have liked to see is like you went from being respecting this this man to being blackmailed by him and you felt you couldn't get away. They sort of do it in one scene, but it's not nearly enough for the perspective of the story that they sh they probably should have gone with. Yeah, and, and I was actually gonna, gonna touch on that as well, is that they just needed to have more scenes of the internal struggle of wanting to be, you know, this FBI informant and, you know, wanting to have all this money and you know eventually walk free from his charges but then also like does he actually believe in the ideals of the black panther party and fred hampton like we don't know because we just kind of had to assume you know what i mean like and and fair enough you know we don't know what was going on through bill and neil's head but literally a movie that we talked about a month ago was one night in miami which is literally a a 90 minute movie made up of completely fictionalized conversations that either a could have happened or b could not have happened but they could see these people saying these things i mean like there have been movies in the past where they've just kind of assumed and filled in the filled in the lines with how they think people are feeling and mm -hmm. i just don't understand why they don't do that in in this case scenario i mean I think I think we gotta gotta talk about some some positives because it's it's not a terrible movie no. and it sounds like we're no, no we're no. dragging it I, but I mean I just think closing not on on my uh, thoughts on on the story is that it it started with something good idea wise but I think it's like a relay right you hand the baton off to the next person. Yeah. They kind of fumbled the baton and got like off to a slow start. Yeah. And I just want to say one last thing is, is I think they missed the boat on the tension. They had scenes with tension potential where maybe if you were reading the script, like you were reading a book and you 
saw things play out in your head, there were there was a lot of tension. But when it was put to screen, it wasn't like like you said, Phoenix. That shootout was was really random. Really random. And then you get the scene of Jimmy shooting those cops in the convenience store, and that happens so quick that you don't even really feel it. I mean, I, I mention this movie all the time, and, and Phoenix, you and I disagree, but but at least a movie like The Banker, which came out in 2020, was able to provide tension moments for a subject that is hard to understand. Banking is something that not a lot of people understand. Banking is a, a subject that there's not a lot of opportunity for tension, but somehow they did it and they did it well. And we talk about this show almost every week too. This movie almost every week is, is dark waters. Talk about another subject, chemicals inside of water and Teflon. They made that super tension filled. So you're talking to me about the black Panther party and their relationships with the cops and their place in the world and, and changing society and Fred Hampton that has all the potential in the world to be a tension filled joy ride. Mm-hmm. And I just think they missed the boat, but, but like Nick said, we don't want to sit here and drag this movie and then give it positive scores. Mm-hmm. It's just so much more easy to talk about where we were let down than anything else. But Phoenix, you mentioned something early Dominique Fishback. When, oof, when I saw her names pop up in the opening credits, I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> I did. Listen, I, I hated Project Power. I'm sorry. That movie is not very good. And inside of that movie, Dominique is asked to play a high schooler that's kind of finding her way in life, mm-hmm. misunderstood, is a little bit of a misfit. And she's trying to be friends with, with really anyone that would give her the time of day. And it's not Dominique's fault. It's just how her character was written. She was very obnoxious. She's really cringy. So when I saw her name pop up, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) But for her role inside of this movie, she really does a great job. Um, I I should not have judged her off of one role. And certainly I am wrong for that. But she was great. She really was. In in a movie where no one's ever going to talk about anyone other than Lakeith and Daniel, she... She did a great job. She did. I actually want to comment on that. Um, I am of the mindset. I've, I've been a very big Amanda Seyfried uh, fan. Like, that's that's who I want to win Best Supporting Actress. I think, you know what I'm saying? That's just, uh, that's been me this entire time. Uh, I am now switching to Dominic Fishback. Uh, I, I don't know if she'll get nominated. I probably not, but she is currently my, my favorite supporting actress performance, uh, this year. And yes, I've seen Minari. I've seen Nomadland. I, I've yet to finish the father, but yeah, as of right now, uh, yeah, Dominique Fishbank is my, my choice. And I saw Borat in some subsequent movie film as well. I love Maria Bakalova, but yeah, Dominic Fishbank, I think, gives the best supporting actress performance out of anybody that I've seen this year. Uh, so yeah, you're right to be like someone who had a, a movie that I haven't seen, but that you clearly had qualms with like, <laughs> to, to have the next role be one I believe is literally Oscar worthy 
uh, I think has just shows tremendous talent that this shows the tremendous talent that she has. I think she does an incredible, incredible job in this film. Um, and like I said, like the performances sell this movie. The performances sell this movie 100% because Daniel Kaluuya is a, a freaking just, he, he, he swallows so much of this film because he's so good. And, and the, the speeches that he gives, and not even just the speeches, his natural dialect. I mean, he's given some of the best material to, to work with and he just kills it. It's such a great, great performance. But yeah, like, and like we said, I think the filmmaking is tremendous. There's some excellent dialogue, I mean, sorry, excellent camera movements, camera shots. I love the the interplay that they have with the other gangs in, in the story, how they're building the Rainbow Coalition and they go to the Crowns and they go to, you know, uh, the Puerto Ricans and they go to the, the Southern white, you know, rednecks. And they actually are able to bridge the gap with all of these people. And I think it's just a tremendous aspect of this story. It, it's weird to me because it's like, it feels like two different movies because it's like, the Bill O'Neill story is compelling. That would be great, a great story. And the Fred Hampton story is also a really good story. And it's like, it's trying to find the balance between the two because they're both tremendous and they don't really know which one to settle on, but they're both strong stories. So I, I get it. It's funny, there's been quite a few movies that were 2020 releases that we've been able to say, the acting's great. The filmmaking is great. The story is not so much. It's funny. We, we've been able to say that about a lot. And at least we live in a time where filmmaking is nearly flawless, at least in, in most big films that are Oscar contenders. I mean, I know we've said that about Mank. I feel that way about Minari and Bahraini. We've said that about, we said that about the dig last week. And we feel that way about Malcolm and Marie. Like there are so many movies that the filmmaking Oh, stellar. Mm -hmm. But if the story was on the same level as the filmmaking, woo, woo. And unfortunately, we've had to say that quite a few times this year. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just, it's like two sides of a coin and, and you know, the, the filmmaking was great. I mean, I think the cinematography even too, I mean, yes. they kind of nailed the era that they were in. I don't think it feels like the 60s, in a movie that I always compare like feel and look to as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feels like the era that it's in and it also looks like it. Um, but I mean, this looks, you know, like spot on. There's nothing that is like bad about, about the looks of this film. I mean, all the, the different locales that are, are filmed in. I mean, there's color. I, I think the, the cinematography is, is great the the performances are great even from some of the supporting cast the only thing about the performances is that some important people in this actual real life story compared to the movie are just kind of bodies in the room like the one guy with glasses i couldn't even tell you his name yeah. with the with the hat who got shot in the end yeah. I couldn't tell you his name because he's literally just a body in the room. Same with that Afro girl who shot at the, the police. Like, yeah, you know that, you know that they're actually really important cultural figures, but like we don't spend nearly enough time with them 
we don't like I, I'm really struggling to understand to remember a few of their names right but like yeah like and you know, you know what, that you know, you know they that say, they, if you can't remember their name, then they weren't important. But but you know they are. Like you know they right. are. Yeah, insanely. I mean, of course they were important people in real life. Yeah. But in this movie, they just made them bodies in it's, a room. It's similar, I guess, to what they did to to Brie Larson and Jess Mercy. It's a little bit similar where they actually did give her a name and and let her get. Uh, quite a bit of screen time but they made her out to be an idiot and we were like yeah her character in real life is actually pretty smart and pretty, pretty important and pretty, pretty yeah pretty uh spear as nails yeah for, for <laughs> women in law yeah it's pretty similar i mean these were most likely very important people to the black panthers but yeah. in this movie uh, look, if you're I, not if you're not bill o'neill fred hampton fred hampton's wife or the FBI agent Jesse Plemons, you're not you're not <laughs> yeah. gonna get to talk. So. You weren't getting you weren't getting a lot. Like I look at it like in Mank, you know what I'm saying? He he goes into a room and he introduces all of these random people, and then we never see him again. And it's like you know right. that those people matter. You know they matter to 1930s Hollywood, but it's like yeah, <laughs> they're just bodies in the room at that point. But so. I don't mean to compare this to Mank because this is by far a better fit, better film. I was gonna say, do but, we want to uh, give final scores? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll go first. For me, it's a three and a half. It's a B plus. Um, I really did want to give this four stars. It's still my best film of 2021. Um, it's just disappointing that they kind of fumbled the the important stuff of the movie. The reason why we watch movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna ride that same wave. Same wave excuse me, at three and a half. Um, it's a B plus. And in all things considered, that's a good score. It means it's a solid movie. It just means it didn't go above and beyond. And I think that's fitting for at least my experience with it. The performances, fantastic. I'm sure we'll be talking about Daniel Kaluuya quite a bit as far as receiving an Oscar. And the filmmaking itself, solid. Once again, you know, we, we hit those notes. But at the end of the day, it, it, it seemed like it didn't know what it wanted to be and what story it wanted to tell. It wanted to tell the Bill O'Neill story, but it also wanted to tell the Fred Hampton story. And and the Fred Hampton one is, is really solid, but unfortunately it's not what they market the movie about. So they had some confusion there. The story itself, just it needed some spice. It needed some tension. I, I've, like I said, reading the Wikipedia page about what happened was was – almost more intriguing. And, and I'm sorry to say it was never boring. It was never uninteresting. It was just missing that, that extra push. So it's a three and a half for me. I 100% uh, agree with these guys. I think that there's some uh, aspects to the story that could have been juiced up a little bit, but Daniel Kalua is out of this world. Lakeith Stanfield is amazing. Like I said, Dominic Fishbank is my new front runner for Best Supporting Actress. Um, so I really liked it, um, even though despite the despite the uh, issues that I feel that we've had with it, I really liked it. But I'm going to go four stars. This is my second favorite uh, 2021 film behind Malcolm and Marie. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. That's it. Four stars for me, three and a half for Nathan and Nick. 
Uh, wow. Overall, surprise, I, surprise. A solid recommend for uh, 2021. And uh, that'll do it for our review on Judas and the Black Messiah. And now let's move on to what's good. So, what's good, what's good, what's good. Gentlemen, what has been good for you this week, if anything? <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a tough week. I'm not going to lie. It's been a tough week. We want to come on to what's good, and we want to give you things that maybe you haven't heard of, or at least that you haven't seen. Like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I know those actors, but I just never really thought to check that out. We don't want to come on here and recommend you Pulp Fiction we don't want to come on here and recommend you Star Wars. Like, we just, we don't want to do that. Because, duh, of course we're going <laughs> to recommend that. Um, unfortunately, we've just been watching a lot of our TV show. We've been, it was kind of a light week for movies. Um, so, um, unfortunately, at least on my end, I'm just going to have to recommend the same thing. One Tree Hill has, has been great. It's on Hulu. Um, it's either that or recommend something that you're going to say, duh. So, I, I'd just rather stick with that. Same, Nick. Um, uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm recommend a, a movie you might not have heard of. It's called The Gift. Um, <laughs> Aaron Edgerton. No, but um, or Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. Yeah, Joel Edgerton. Right. But this isn't really a uh, like Nathan said. We watched a lot of big name movies. Um, the only movie that you probably have never heard of is uh, Trash. So didn't want to <laughs> recommend that. Um, side note, I heard Phoenix liked Lolita, which disgusts me. <laughs> uh, so, yes, sir, Phoenix. But this is a movie that I haven't seen in a long, long time. People have been trying to get me to watch this for a long, long time, and that is the OG Shrek movie. Um, hadn't, didn't really like it as like a kid. I was probably like five or six when I watched it, and you know, never had any interest in rewatching and it was solid. So we're going to probably watch Shrek two sometime soon, which I've heard is better. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but yeah. Um, add that to the list of movies that Nick has just seen for the first time that are classics nice. along with like Hocus Pocus. And there yeah. was another one that uh, <laughs> I watched for the first time. Gremlins. Gremlins. So. All right. Well, uh, you know me. I gotta okay. give you guys a brand new documentary. documentary. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for me, what's been good this week is I checked out the documentary called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Uh, this is the story of David Arquette, who for two weeks became the WCW World Heavyweight Champion when he was promoting his uh, movie Ready to Rumble. It became the biggest scandal in all of professional wrestling uh, and kind of ruined both his uh, professional career as an actor and uh, definitely his wrestling career. Uh, so this is his redemption story and he tries to regain uh, some respect in the wrestling community. And it's a, it's a genuinely like heartfelt story. Well, it's just something that's really impressive to see uh, someone, you know, 
endure so much to uh, to get back to a level of respectability. So uh, that's recommend. That's the recommendation for me. You cannot kill David David Arquette. Uh, I recommend highly that you guys check that out. And of course, we got the OG Shrek and One Tree Hill. If you have not seen it, which I have not, uh, so check those things out. And that's what's good from us here at Film Codes. What's good, what's good. Officially move on to our discussion this week. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all, all go right. to the lobby. So it's been a busy week here in all of film because uh, we are knee deep in award season and we just received the nominees. Well, not just, but we received the nominees for the Golden Globes, the SAGs, and the Critics' Choice uh, over the past couple of days. And uh, we're gonna go through them and give the give our thoughts on uh, how we feel about them, what's nominated, what isn't. And uh, we'll take it from there. So let's kick off with the Golden Globes. Uh, the Golden Globes will take place on February 28th. They will be hosted by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And I believe they will be at least in part virtual, I think, uh, due to the pandemic. So we shall see. And uh, we have at least, I want to say, 10 categories that we're going to go over. Uh, yeah, for us. So I was going to say, let's start at the bottom. Let's start at the bottom. So let's start with best original score. I'm sorry, not score. Best original song. Uh, so the nominees are Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, which we just talked about. Uh, Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, Lo See Scene from The Life Ahead. Speak Now from One Night in Miami. And Tigress in Tweed from The United States versus Billie Holiday. Uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday has yet to drop. We have not seen it yet. So that's the only one uh, that we're not terribly familiar with. But uh, I've seen all of the others. Uh, so I want to, I know my pick personally is still going to be Speak Now from One Night in Miami, Leslie Odom Jr., Sam Ashworth. I just, I, I dig the hell out of that song. What, what about you guys? Well, I can speak for the both of us on this one that uh, the same like the WandaVision songs, if you held a gun to our head and asked us to, to hum one of these songs, uh, rest in peace because i have <laughs> never heard of any of these songs so i'll go with phoenix's pick i'll i'll trust phoenix I, i'm a little bit on a slightly different wave i do remember speak now from one night in miami because of how impactful that was for the movie speak now when when did they sing that at the end yeah it's at the end when at the end 
when Leslie Odom Jr. is just singing it and they're like montaging over. I swear no, that that's a different song. That's that's a different yeah. song. That's change gonna come. Yeah. If that was on here, that'd be a bop. Yeah. Well, I know that one. Well, speaking, speaking I guess, played over um, the end credits. I guess I'll just have to reemphasize the <laughs> fact that this is just this is just something that we don't really notice or don't really. This isn't our particular area of interest, I guess I should say, or yeah. expertise. So I really can't pick any of these. I guess I'd have to go with, sure, even though even though I got it wrong, I'll go with uh, Leslie Odom Jr. because, you know, he's a singer first and an actor second. Fantastic in both. Give it to the Hamilton guy who's uh, starting to become a, a big-name actor. So, But like I said, I, this really just isn't our area of expertise. So... Well, I'll go with uh, Low Say because that sounds cool. I heard it. It's okay. <laughs> All I've right. So let- never heard of The Life Ahead. So, yeah. Uh, let's go with original score now. So, we got perennial awards favorite Alexandre Desplat for The Midnight Sky. Uh, have not seen The Midnight Sky, I've but I know. I've heard of it. Yeah, I know Alexandre Desplat is going to come with a killer score no matter what. Uh, Ludwig Göransson once again for Tenet, uh, James Newton Howard for News of the World, and Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross for Mank, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Baptiste for Soul. So those are your nominees. Uh, you know me, it's Soul. Soul won me over immediately. I'm going with Ross, Reznor, and Baptiste on this one. Absolutely going to hit that same wave. Soul is, you know, it's not just the best animated feature of the year, spoiler alert, but it's also the best, best movie of the year, best score. They knock it out in that department. So, yes, going to go with that as well. Um, so I will go with this as well. But something that I'm, I'm disappointed not to see is the score from Promising Young Woman. Mm. Um, I love Soul. Soul is uh, my favorite movie and best movie from from 2020 but uh promising young woman has a killer killer score we yes. talked about this um when when we were leaving the theater if if this would have been nominated i would have voted for that even though i like soul a little bit better this score just bangs call me angel in the morning at the end of that movie it's just like Ooh. It's bang. <laughs> all right so let's move on to best screenplay and of course right at the top emerald Fennell, promising young woman very much deserved. Jack Fincher for Mank. Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7. Florian Zeller, Christopher Hampton for The Father. And Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, the thing about the Globes is they don't distinguish between uh, original or adapted screenplay. So, but there's four of these are original and one is adapted. So there you have it. Uh, so where are you guys going? Because I don't know. <laughs> well, I will correct my uh, statement from the past minute. Nathan has informed me that it's uh, original score. I guess Promising Young Woman is not original. There, there are some, but but yeah, yeah. the morning was not. But. Yeah, but I, but uh, so I will retract that statement. Doesn't but mean it doesn't bang though. It doesn't mean it doesn't bang. Yes. All right. Best original screenplay. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Um, it's tough because I haven't seen Nomadland. Um, Mank's definitely at the bottom of the list. Even if No Man Land is is a bad movie, I'm still putting Mank at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Haven't seen The Father either, so I guess it's between Trial and Promising Young Woman, uh, and I'm gonna go with Promising Young Woman. 
yeah, like like Nick just said, we haven't seen Nomadland or The Father yet. At the time that you're listening to this, we will have seen Nomadland. So maybe my opinion will change. I know Chloe Zhao is dominating this section for awards. I unfortunately can't say she's going to win until I've seen the movie. That's just the way it works. So I'm going to go with Trial of Chicago 7. You know, I, I think there's only one Aaron Sorkin movie that I've seen that I do not like, and that's Molly's Game. I think he's such a talented writer. He really knows how to get the best out of his actors. And something we talked about for the last, you know, half hours, tension building. Aaron Sorkin definitely knows how to build tension. So Trial of Chicago 7, it's my best movie of the year. And the screenplay is just fantastic. It's I think it's a two and a half hour movie. I was invested every single minute of it. If someone said, let's watch it right now, I'd totally be down. <laughs> this screenplay is special. Well, I think Promising Young Woman did so many great things, which is my second best movie of the year. Uh, at least in this point in time. They're both neck and neck, but at the end of the day, Promising Home is such a unique and creative story, but I think what Trial does is is slightly better trying to juggle more of a story. I can say as someone who has seen Nomadland and a part of The Father, I don't know how it ends, but so far, um, my my pick would also be Promising Young Woman. I think it's just such an original story. I, I love the movie. I think what they do is incredible. So like- and It's not afraid to be bold. It's definitely not afraid to be bold. I, I'm right there. It's like neck and neck with Trial because I love Trial as well. But yeah, Promising Young Woman would probably get my vote out of these five. Uh, so then we're gonna move on to Best Director. And the one thing that the Globes did that we have to praise is that they were the first award show to nominate three female directors. They've also nominated, uh, and two of those directors are women of color. So that's amazing. So fantastic. Props, yeah. Absolutely. Props. Absolutely a shame that it's the first time that it happened yeah. in 2021, but nonetheless, um, good on them for, for finally breaking that and, and absolutely deserved too. Absolutely, absolutely. deserved. Absolutely. So we're looking at Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Regina King for One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, I will kick this one off. If I have a pick, it is going to Regina King. Uh, one Night in Miami is, is literally one of my top five favorite movies of the year. Um, I think she did an exceptional job with this movie. I love it. I, I like every day I think about it. I love it more. So that's that's my pick. Regina King, One Night in Miami. Yeah, um, I want to say Chloe Zhao because um, you know Nomadland, but obviously I haven't seen it. So I'm I'm gonna give it to. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll give it to Aaron Sorkin for for Trial of Chicago Seven. Um, like we mentioned earlier, just that talent in that cast, the story, how it's told. I didn't realize it was two and a half hours because that flew, but um, yeah, I mean, everything, everything's going Aaron's way for for that. <laughs> like I said, right? We haven't seen The Father. We haven't seen Nomadland. I know Nomadland is sweeping in so many categories. Unfortunately, I'm not going to sit here and pick at Nomadland for any of these categories since I haven't seen it. When we do our Oscar predictions, when we do our Oscar stuff, 
this probably the last week you're going to get me to to not talk about Nomadland if if I end up loving it. But unfortunately, I, I'm just not going to pick a movie I haven't seen. So with that being said, um, I'm going to switch it up from what you guys probably think I'm going. I'm going with Emerald Fennell. Yeah. I think that... There's a big difference when we just talked about screenplay and now best director, because I do think the screenplay of trial is significantly better. And while they're both great, I do think it's significantly better, but look, Aaron Sorkin's been there. He's done that. He's done great movies like Moneyball and the social network. He's written huge movies with star talent. He knows how to do this. Emerald Fennell is a directorial debut with promising young woman. She has never directed a, a full-fledged movie before. And for her to come out with this absolute stunning movie that not only is, is a great story, but has a ton of political commentary in it as well and social commentary, it's, it's, it's fantastic. For a first-time director, it's, it's not quite to the level of Jordan Peele, but it's, it's pretty damn close. So I think her being a first-time director versus Aaron Sorkin being a long-time director gives her this award for me. I do want to point out one omission that uh, I think should be here, and that's Spike Lee uh, for The Five Bloods. Uh, I love that movie. Still one of my top, I think it's in my top two. Yeah, so that's the only omission I would point out, but other than that, I'm okay with uh, the director lineup. So let's go to a supporting role by an actor. Uh, and then we're going to have a lot more to talk about here. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Jared Leto for The Little Things, Bill Murray for On the Rocks, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Uh, I was gung-ho with, behind Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, after One Night in Miami. That was, that was 100% the best supporting actor uh, performance in my mind but we just watched Judas and the Black Messiah and I there's no way I cannot award this to Daniel Kaluuya he's just insane what he does in that movie is incredible that yeah so hands down for me it's going to Daniel Kaluuya it's funny we um how much things teeter-totter throughout the year right mm -hmm. this was Sasha Barrett Cohen's to lose when October, November hit. And then we got One Night in Miami a month ago. And this was Leslie Odom Jr.'s to lose. Like, this is, you might as well lock it up. And then you got Daniel Kaluuya. And it looks to be, that might be it. But you never know. We never know. Something that, Phoenix, I'm really surprised you didn't bring up is just slander the absolute crap out of Jared Leto and Bill Murray getting nominations. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> well... You know, we talked about the little things a couple weeks ago, and Jared Leto did a great job, but not a good enough job to be nominated. There are some things you just don't get nominated for, some movies that you don't, just don't get nominated for. You know, like Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. never got nominated for Iron Man, and I kind of agree with that. There are some things you just don't get nominated for. I have not seen On the Rocks. I probably will not see On the Rocks. You can't convince me that Bill Murray is better than Mark Rylance, and Phoenix, we talk about this probably almost every day on Twitter. It seems like I'm out here defending Mark Rylance for Trial of Chicago 7. I don't think he's good enough to win because I think Sasha, Leslie, and Daniel are the three-headed monster of this award. But at the end of the day, Mark Rylance is damn good enough to get a nomination. And the fact that 
he stands out amidst that that just stellar cast. The fact that you're nominating Bill F. and Murray for some comedy that's got awful scores and Jared Leto for the little things over Mark Rylance, it's disgusting to me. It's disgusting. So with all that behind me, um, it's it's really a toss-up between the three. I do think Leslie Odom Jr. and Daniel Kaluuya are the strongest. Maybe it's that knee-jerk reaction, but I do think Daniel Kaluuya wins this award in my eyes. Ask me again in a week. I might switch back. <laughs> but for right now, I'm going with Daniel Kaluuya. Well, I guess I'm going to go with a, a little bit of a different route. Um, this year, unlike last year, it's not a complete lock because last year it was uh, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I'm going to go with Leslie Adam Jr. for One Night in Miami. Um, I mean, the the singing, of course, was, was a great high point for him. But also, I just think the acting and – he delivers such great monologues in One Night in Miami, and and as Sam Cooke, I just think he does a, a fantastic job. So he's gonna get my my vote for for best supporting. Yeah, and I just want to mention how incredible it is that at least the three headed monster that we presume. Of course, there will be two other nominations at the Oscars, and of course there are at the Golden Globes. But the three headed monster of Sasha, Daniel, Leslie, all real people yeah i was just about to point they were playing activists icons at the time respectable leaders i just think that's incredible because that's always it's harder to pull off a a real character than a a real person than someone who's fictitious so whether it's leslie adam jr sam cook whether it is daniel kaluuya as fred hampton whether it's sasha baron cohen as as abby all of them just, just want to throw that out there as well. Yeah. Something uh, that, that we forgot to mention about Judas is that Fred Hampton was 21 yeah. during the course of this movie. Yeah. We are 21. I couldn't imagine doing that at 21. No, so crazy. it's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, so as someone who has seen On the Rocks, I really cannot understand what people's obsession with uh, this movie is. It's an okay movie. It's it's definitely a, a, it's a nice it's little comedy. It's, uh, you know what I'm saying? But Bill Murray is honestly, like, he gets the most screen, not really screen time, but definitely most dialogue out of anybody. And uh, it gets kind of obnoxious about 30 minutes in how much he actually talks in this movie. Um, and his character, I just, like, there's nothing, there's nothing I like about his character in that movie. Um, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's not award worthy. That's one of those performances you is not award worthy at all. So I can't understand why it's gained traction. I don't know why it's a lot, a lot of people love it. It's just a weird performance. I recommend you guys check it out because there's no reason for him to be here. I want to point out the biggest omission, definitely according to film Twitter, which is Paul Racy from Sound of Metal. Um, me personally, it's a very internal performance. Uh, I don't really go for internal performances that much, but it's definitely better than Bill Murray. I can say that. And if you would throw thrown Mark Rylance in over Jared Leto, you would have a much stronger lineup, in my opinion. So that's where I'm at with it. But we'll move on to Best Supporting Actress. This one is going to be a little different as well. First off, kicking it off, Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. That's hilarious. Olivia Coleman for The Father, Jodie Foster for The Mar which no one has seen yet. 
<laughs> Amanda Seyfried for Mank and Helena Zengel for News of the World. Uh, as much as I love Glenn Close, as much as I love Olivia Coleman, given this lineup, my heart is still with Amanda Seyfried. Um, that's who I want to win. That's who I wanted to win the entire Oscar season. Uh, but noticeable omissions, definitely Yoo Jong Yoon for Minari. Um, and like, like I said, Dam Dominique Fishbank, who I think should definitely uh, appear in some conversations. Uh, and surprising, well, not she's not missing because she's in another category. But this Best Supporting Actress, oh no. I don't know. I don't know if Maria Bakalova appears in another category, but that's also someone who's missing. But uh, yeah, so my vote is for Amanda Seyfried, and I just want to point out how incredibly white this category is. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do want to preface this by saying I haven't seen any of these movies except for Mank. And oh. I just, I mean, like you said, the Maturian and the father aren't even out. And I was out Hillbilly Elegy Week, and with those incredible scores i don't know what's gotten over me to not watch it yet <laughs> and um news of the world is something that you might have to drag me to the theater to see um and, and as far as mank is concerned look we, we spent a whole episode on it i think gary oldman is fantastic definitely he deserves a nom but whether it's amanda seafried whether it is um uh her name's escaping me right now help me out here what Who's the other one? In what? In what? In Mank. Um, oh. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No matter who it is, no matter who it is, like, I just... Lily Collins? Lily Collins, yeah. Wh whoever it is in Mank other than Gary Oldman, I don't know what... I don't remember, right? I just don't. Like, no one struck me enough to make me defend them other than Gary Oldman. Just It, it didn't. Like, I know people are very high on Amanda Seyfried. Personally, I don't really remember her performance which means it didn't stand out enough to me and considering i haven't seen any of the other four i'd i'd like to sit this category out and <laughs> i damn well i'm not re-watching mank before the oscars to know so um i i'd like to sit this one out <laughs> yeah i'll just give it to amanda because i haven't seen anybody else and glenn Cl well <laughs> no nah. We'll keep it with Amanda. <laughs> we can move on, though. Yeah. So uh, you guys probably have not seen many of the nominees in foreign uh, picture either. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've uh, I've seen three. Uh, Another Round, Life Ahead, and Minari. Uh, personally, I think it's Minari's to win, but I really liked Another Round. But we can we can also uh, skip over, not skip over, but breeze through best performance in a motion picture musical or comedy by an actress because yeah, I, she does appear there. I yeah. haven't seen any of them, and I <laughs> hate Emma, so there's no way that I'm gonna nominate give Anya Taylor Joy uh, a Golden Globe or whatever we want to call it. I, I think that one belongs to Maria Bakalova, honestly. Uh, right. Borat we'll, we'll trust you film. on that, Phoenix. So if we want to, if we want to go to best performance by an actor in a a comedy or musical, we can go to that. Best performance. Oh, you know, we got Sasha Baron Cohen for Borat, subsequent movie film. Uh, <laughs> James Corden for The Prom. Uh, yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda for Hamilton. 
Dev Patel for the personal history of David Copperfield and Andy Samberg for Palm Springs. This is the most mind boggling category I've ever seen. This um, is why they don't do this category at the Oscars because this is a joke <laughs> of a category. First it, of all, it is. Lin Manuel Miranda, and, and I'll get into this when we talk about Hamilton, is that this was recorded in 2016. Yeah. It is five years later. And there's no way that Hamilton should be even nominated. It's not even a movie. It is a recording. I could record myself jumping around, jumping jacks in 2012, call it a movie in 2020, and call it a day. I wouldn't get nominated because it would probably suck. But, but, not, but not only that, why is a literal stage play going up against Palm Springs a supposed-to-be-scripted all-out comedy? Like, wh- why yeah. are these going against each other? This is so dumb. Like, Sasha Baron Cohen and Andy Samberg star in these movies that are supposed to be just all out comedic fests are going up against a literal play mm-hmm. that is not a movie. We can talk about five years all we want. Cause I, I totally agree, but like, let's set that aside. There's <laughs> no play going up against a play. And even yeah. if it wasn't a play, let's say it was like in, in the Heights Phoenix, like right. you look, those should not go against each other. They just shouldn't. Make them their own separate categories. I, I'm sorry. This is so dumb. Yeah, literally. So I, I, I'm going to take it for what it's worth, right? We don't make the rules. We just have to play by them. As dumb as it is, as dumb as it is, I, I would give this to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, we can sit here and we can say, we can sit here and say, yeah, it was recorded five years ago. Yeah, it's a literal stage play. The word I used several times during our Hamilton episode. Suffocating. <laughs> and it was. But there's no denying how good he is, how good the play is. There's no denying that. So we can sit here and we can talk about how unfair these rules are. But at the end of the day, we still have to appreciate greatness. And I 100% agree with appreciating greatness. And I agree that it should not be here. Um <laughs> But uh, I would go with Sasha Baron Cohen only because, like, it's an actual film for one, and he's he does a great job with that character. It's, it's insane how good he is as Borat. But uh, you touched on Lin Manuel Miranda. I think that's a fair assessment. That there's no reason for that movie to be here. But the thing that that I I gotta say is the most ugly and frustrating is James Corden for the prom. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen The Prom yet. Nope. I do not recommend it. It is a <laughs> shit show of a film. It really is. It It is somehow incredibly, incredibly gay and also extremely homophobic at the same time. Like, I don't know how that's done, but that's the brilliance of Ryan Murphy, I guess. Uh, James Corden is not even remotely interesting or entertaining in that film. Uh uh, like I would have, if, if anything, I would have nominated Keegan-Michael Key, who I think does a fantastic job in the prom, despite it being an awful movie. Uh, but that, that's it. Um, and yeah, no, this, it, th- this one is, is deeply unsettling and uncomfortable. I, I have no idea why he's here. Well, <laughs> if I had to pick, I'd pick Andy Samberg. I haven't seen any of the, the other movies, but just like the actress, I'd watch <laughs> Why would I go with something that I don't 100% get behind? So just going to skip over that category as well and move on to the actual performance category that actually deserves to be talked about. So take it away, Phoenix. Which one is that? 
the best performance in a motion picture drama by an actress and an act by an actor or an actress whichever one you you pick your poison <laughs> let's start they with both act- matter more than the subsequence that is true uh let's start with actor so we got riz ahmed for sound of metal chadwick boseman for my ma, ma rainey's black bottom anthony hopkins for the father gary oldman for mank and tahar rahim for the Mediterranean. well uh, for me it's easy it has to be chadwick um great performance um I, I you have to say it because it's true is that maybe some of of the the votes will go because of the tragedy behind the story but i think even if he was still alive he would still win because this is the best performance this year um i'm not watching sound of metal because that's <laughs> dumb. it's a 2019 people that's, uh, that's another pet peeve is is uh 2019's being nominated for uh two years later award shows so i'm gonna sit here and say of course stop me if you've heard this before um but we have not seen the father yet because it's not out and we haven't seen the maturian because it's not out yes thank you because it's not out so once again I'm not going to pick people for a movie I have not seen. With that being said, Anthony Hopkins supposed to be great. You know, he's obviously an iconic actor. So we'll see what he delivers. But until that point, I can't pick him if I haven't seen him. So like Nick mentioned, I mean, Chadwick Boseman is the best performance of the year without having seen the father yet. And, and while it may be true that, that, he might get some votes his way because he's not with us anymore and how absolutely devastating that was. Um, he should not win because of what happened, but he should win because he was performing under the circumstances that he was dealing with. I, I can't stand when people say, you know, Heath Ledger won because he died. No, not no. true. Not true. And I really hope if Chadwick does win, people do not say the same thing. Sure. Maybe some, some heartstrings are being tugged a little bit where people say, you know, Anthony's I did like better, but this is such a feel good story. If he were to win, let's vote for him. I would hope that doesn't happen. And and Chadwick should not win because he's not with us. He should win because he was literally fighting cancer, doing chemotherapy, knowing he might not have enough time on this earth left. Um, he should win given everything he was dealing with and still giving the best performance of the year. So I like Gary Oldman. I, I think in a, in any other year, he'd be a strong contender, but we'll see what Anthony Hopkins brings. But until that point, Chadwick Boseman is a runaway for me. Uh, the, the, I have to point out the greatest uh, sin here is no Del Lindo. Um, this, uh, that I want to use a bad word, like, like that's, that's, that's how I feel about it. Uh, the, that Delroy Lindo's not here. Cause in my opinion, Delroy Lindo gave the single best performance that I've seen. And I have seen the father and I like, so in my opinion, Delroy Lindo should be here even over Gary Oldman, definitely over to Harahim. There's no reason for Delroy Lindo not to be here. I, I really I really do think across all categories, Defy Bloods was hurt by when it came out. I really do think yeah. that. Like 
I think people forgot about it. I think people like they just it just came out too early. It just it may, it, it may have and that may have hurt blockbusters come out during the summer and there's a reason why oscar season there's always a december christmas january release that is always a strong contender at the oscars last year was 1917 there's one every single year this year it's nomadland and judas it it happens every single year and i just think the defy blood's coming out in june people forgot about it which sucks because i think even if you saw a bunch of movies it 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 wasn't it, it, it hasn't left the top five of mine all year since it came out. So, but in that sense, I am also going with Chadwick Boseman. Uh, everything you guys said is true, but the performance is incredible. And then you add on the circumstances that he was dealing with. It's amazing. And I just don't think you, you have a performance better than that. So for me, Chadwick Boseman takes it away 100%. Uh, so let's do best performance by an actress, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh the only one of these I have not seen is the United States versus Billy Holiday. We will be watching that uh, actually in the next few days. But uh, mm-hmm. for me, my heart is sort of still with Viola Davis from my rainies. I just think, uh, I think she just brings it. E- even, you know, a lot of people will say like her role is supporting because she doesn't have as much screen time, but I think she owns the screen when she's on it every single time. And she does so much tremendous good work with that character. I love that story. I love that movie. So for me, it's still going to be Viola Davis for Ma Rainey. Well, I'm going to go with Carrie Mulligan. And once again, have not seen Nomadland. So Francis McDormand could be out of this world. I don't know that until I see it. So until then, I'm going to go with Carrie Mulligan. Look, I, I think Viola Davis absolutely commands the screen 100 she is an absolute force in my opinion she's the most talented actress in hollywood but like i say about the godfather i prefer my lead performances to actually be in the movie mm. i i do i'm sorry like we can sit here and we can we can say it's not her fault for how little screen time she has but I'm sorry, when we talk about legendary performances, when we talk about winning performances, I prefer the person that wins to actually be in the movie for a substantial amount of time. And I'm sorry, Viola Davis, it's it's not her movie. Her name's in the title, but this is Chadwick's movie. And this is the band's movie. She absolutely commands the screen. Yes, she does. She knocks out of the park with this character, her commitment to the role, no question. But I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to pick someone that's that's in it for 40 minutes. I'm just not. I, I can't in confidence do that. And yes, Mahershala Ali won for Moonlight, and and he absolutely should have. But in in, in my world, I, I can't confidently pick someone to win best lead because that was supporting. This is lead. I can't confidently say someone best lead who's, who's hardly in the film. I'm sorry, I can't. And Carrie Mulligan is just right there with her. 
I teeter totter between those two performances and Carrie Mulligan. It's actually her movie. So that's my uh, little rant on that. Well, I just got to echo what Nathan said and we'll move on. (laughs) All right. And we are here. Best motion picture drama. We have the father Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and Trial of the Chicago 7. So for you guys, what is it going to be the best motion picture? What's taking home the Golden Globe? Well, I think Nick is pondering it. So <laughs> I will go with mine. You know, you guys know what it is. It's, it's Trial of the Chicago 7. This has, has remained my best movie of the year ever since we saw it fantastic fantastic movie only promising a woman has been a challenger to it thus far in my eyes we'll see about no man we'll see about the father which absolutely could but but up until this point trial of chicago seven is is everything i want in a biopic everything i want in a drama the cast is exceptional the the story is moving it's telling it it's informational it's dramatic it's tension building trial of chicago seven in my mind is is everything a best picture winner should be Nick, you're still pondering, so I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead, and I'm actually going to agree with Nathan. I am going with the Trial of Chicago 7 as well. Um, I love this movie. Uh, As much as I love Promising Young Woman, but Trial of Chicago 7, in my opinion, is is just, it encompasses everything that Nathan said. It's, It's dramatic, it's informative, it's raw it it has such a powerful feel to it and i cannot for the life of me get over both of both traveling chicago seven and promising young woman have an incredibly impactful endings but the ending of trial of chicago seven just stirs me up so well i love that feel of the movie it does it for me so i'm i too i'm going with trial of chicago seven I was going to say, if this was 10 years ago, I think my answer would be different because I think the way that best picture winners are chosen these days are different than than they were 10 years ago. So I think it's going to be trial for me. Um, I like Promising Young Woman better. If you made me choose between the two to watch right now, it would probably be Promising Young Woman. Obviously, haven't seen Nomadland or The Father, so... I'll reserve all judgments on those movies. But Trial of the Chicago 7, as soon as Nathan and I finished it, I even said, we both said that this is probably going to be our best picture winner when it's all said and done. Um, like you guys mentioned, it it has everything. Um, something that you guys didn't mention is that even watching this, it makes you angry, which I think yeah. is is a good thing in a movie. Um, and just the the overall story, I think, just – is a slam dunk. So, and not only that, but but promising young woman and Trial of Chicago Seven both have messages that are relevant to society today. Both very different messages, of course, but both extremely relevant. And one thing we know about the Oscars is they eat that shit up. Yeah. So we will see what happens. But well, we're not talking Oscars. Oscars. We're talking Golden, Golden Globes. Globes. That's that's yeah. true. But we all know what the Oscars I matter. <laughs> you're right. right. You're right. So we got six categories to go through with the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, Let's try to breeze through those a little bit faster. So uh, we'll start off with male actor in a supporting role. Pretty much the same nominees, except we have Sasha Baron Cohen for trial, 
Daniel Kalua for Judas, Jared Little for the Little Things, Leslie Odom for One Night. But now we also have Chadwick Boseman for the Five Bloods. So switched it up a little bit there. So he's in supporting as well. Uh, however, does not change my answer. I'm still going with Daniel Kalua uh, for Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm sorry to do this once again. I'm sorry, but why why is Chadwick nominated for this? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Like, look, we love Chadwick. What happened is an absolute travesty. No one is saying that it's not. Why are we nominating people that are in like 15 minutes of the movie? I'm sorry. Like this ha- I, this this has do, to stop. This I do want to point out, I do want to point out this. I do think that even though his role is short, I do think that he is the pure definition of supporting because his story arc supports the entire film. He's the reason that they're there. So in that sense, I do think it's deserving despite his minimal screen time. And, and look, I, I will stand on the highest mountain and, and shout for Chadwick for Ma Rainey. That's, that's mm-hmm. fine. This isn't a Chadwick thing. This is just a character in that movie thing. I'm sorry. You can't tell me that he deserves 15 minutes of screen time over, over Mark Rylance. Uh, even Yaya, who... I don't think should be nominated for supporting because he's not in the movie that much deserves to be in it more than Chadwick. Look, I love Chadwick, but stop. Let's stop. <laughs> Let's stop. Daniel Kaluuya for me still. Leslie Odom for me still. Nice. All right. And <laughs> got a little bit different for a supporting actress. Uh, we still have Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, and Hel- Helena Zengel. But Amanda Seyfried is surprisingly missing and swapped for her is Yoo Jung Yoon for Minari. So that changes things for some people. For me, it does not. I am now going with Maria Bakalova. Uh, I think she does an insanely incredible job in Borat's subsequent movie film. I think she just does something amazing that no one's no one's ever prepared for so uh i love it i'm going with maria bakalova well it does change something for me i will go with yung john yun from minari phoenix we talked about this after we both saw minari that she was good enough to be nominated she Mm -hmm. truly is um i i i'm surprised she wasn't nominated but you know i talked about it last time i don't necessarily have a favorite or a performance that resonates with me for a supporting actress but I do think she's good enough to get nominated, so I will go with her. I'm going to go with Glenn Close. Uh, I don't feel comfortable with any of the other movies. I do not like Minari, so I'm not even going to come <laughs> close to that. But I haven't seen the other three. So, I mean, it's it's got to be Glenn Close with, with my hands tied behind my back on that one. <laughs> All right. And one change in uh, lead actor. We still have Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, but now we also have Steven Yoon for Minari. So that does not do anything for me. I'm still sticking with Chadwick, but uh, happy to see Steven Yoon here. Same. Same for us. Yeah. All right. And outstanding performance by a female actor in a leading role. This has a slight change as well. We are now joined with Amy Adams for Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, still got Viola, Vanessa, Francis, and Carrie. Again, my vote does not change. I am sticking with Viola Davis for lead actress. We'll, uh, we'll see what Francis McDormand does here this week, but until that point, it's Carrie Mulligan for me. And same for me. Yeah. And we have 
the biggest prize at the Screen Actors Guild, which is outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture. And this is an insane lineup because I think these are the best ensembles of the year. You have The Five Bloods, Minari, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. This definitely does change my uh, vote. So I want to know where you guys go first. Do you have an answer? No, I, I, I do, but I want to know where you guys go. You go ahead. I'm deciding between two. <laughs> you can go back about a month and pull up our One Night in Miami episode and hear me talk about nothing but this cast for, for 35 minutes, probably. I love that other than Leslie Odom Jr., they cast a bunch of actors who no one really knows. They're on the rise to take on these iconic black figures. I love that. And I can talk about that for days. Love that. Oh my God. But it's going to be Trialish Chicago 7. It's got to oh, be. Oh, wow. You can't tell me that it's comparing four to comparing 10. It's, it is, I'm sorry. Like, wow, those guys do such a great job portraying these iconic black historical figures. And, and they just do such a great job. And they're an unknown compared to Trial, where almost everyone is known. But man, Trial of Chicago 7, it, it's across the board. I mean, the cast is fantastic. We talked about it. They should just do supporting cast in general and give the whole award. <laughs> I mean, any other year, I really do think One Night in Miami would win. Any other year. This year, I'm sorry, it's, it's Trial. It is. And, and I'm very comfortable saying that. I think you could make a best... For Best Supporting Actor, Kaluuya, 100% is great. Leslie Adam Jr., 100% is great. And then you could name like six people from Trial. You just could. So. <laughs> that, that's where I'm at. I was going to say I'm going to echo the same thing. So, Really? Okay. Uh, well, this is a, a category that has literally switched for me the as, as these movies have come out. I've gone from The Five Bloods to Mom Rainey's to trial to one night to happiest season which was something i'm mad is not here i love happiest season uh <laughs> but it it does change my vote uh as much as i love trial this is one night in miami for me man like it it is i'm sorry that cast is insane and what they're asked to do and you and you you point out something very very important that these are all young, pretty much up and coming actors. And they're taking on these highly uh, iconic lionized characters and they kill it. It would be one thing if they, 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 they dropped the ball or something, they kill it. Like, because they kill it and they, these characters are so known and two of them were played by two former Academy Award winning actors. Mm -hmm. And they step into those roles and still kill it. I got to go with One Night in Miami. Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, I talk about that for days. That's my yeah. favorite part. Of, I pretty much gave One Night in Miami four stars for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's simply comparing numbers at this point. Yeah. Those four guys compared to Trials 9, 10, I'm sorry. It's, it's pure numbers then. All right. So that's where we're at with the SAG Awards. We don't have enough time to get into the Critics' Choice. We will uh, probably do that in our next episode. But uh, 
When are we doing the Kids' Choice Awards from Nickelodeon? Yeah, I know, right? We definitely got to hit that. I think half of your season's going to sweep. Uh, <laughs> all right. But now it is officially time for Film Code. You are now Film Code. Stop. Brandon had our code word this week. He is unfortunately not here, but we do have his answer. So uh, let's get his code word and his clues. His code word was vaccine. Very interesting code word for the times that we're in. Uh, uh, His clues were that, let's see here. It was from 2000 to 2010. It is an action horror movie, and the lead actor in this movie was also in uh, the 2019 live-action remake of Aladdin. Uh, all right, so I, I, I spoke to Brandon. He get, he confirmed the answer for me. So, uh, Nick, let's see what your answer is. Oh, no, wait. I'm, I've, I'm first. Oh, crap. Dang it. All right, so I'm going with... Uh, what let me get the year right i think it's 20 hold on let me get the year right i don't want to say the year wrong 2007 uh action horror movie uh starring will smith and that is i am legend uh so nick you got next what movie are you going with run it back phoenix Run it back. I am legend again. And Nathan, you had the lead at eight. So what movie did you choose? Yeah, I am legend across the board. It's it's fairly uh, easy when you look at that standpoint. I'm glad Brandon gave us an easy one that wasn't uh, flying over our heads. Flying over our heads. Foreign country. (laughs) So that will put Nathan at nine. It will put uh, Nick at seven Seven. and me at five. So it's kind of close, low key. Yeah, at least we're closing in. We're closing in on you, Nathan. (laughs) KJ could have been here. Shout out KJ. I feel like KJ. (laughs) KJ would have gotten that one. KJ would have gotten this one. He would have been on the board. Let's give KJ an honorary point. Yeah. Oh, man. The case has got like three out of Let's let's call him up right now. We'll call him up. We'll give him the code word. We'll, we'll give, give him, him like a half hour to answer. We'll give uh, him five minutes. We'll see what he can do. See what he can do. All right. So it is uh my code word this week, and you guys know I was come prepared. So oh, if you if you name something with eighty five producers, <laughs> you better change your locks. Don't in your make house. this code word war two. Because no. we already had film code war one <laughs> three weeks ago. Yeah. Don't make it World War Two up in here. Yeah. I, I really, I really think this one should be fairly easy for you guys. I hope. Uh, it doesn't have to be easy. It just doesn't have to be, un- well, I, let, be unfair. Let me, let me put it this way. I hope Nick gets it so that uh he catches up to We can do close, some insider trading. For yeah. You. Closes the gap. Because your your gap was at three. Now you're at two. So this will be this will be interesting. I hope he I hope he is able to get it. So the code word is language. Language. Yes. Uh, your film is a surprisingly short 
time period, 2017 to 2020. So fairly recent. Um, what is the other clue? Uh, your director has done less than seven feature films. Your director has done less than seven feature films and your writer and director are the same person. So there you go. Language 2017 to 2020, less than seven feature films by your director and your writer and director is the same person. Is that person the only writer? That person is the only writer. Okay. That sounds good. Is this a foreign language film? Why would I tell you that? <laughs> oh my God, you're gonna you're gonna pull something out of like this is a movie from the Philippines. <laughs> this is in Swahili. Hey. And it's by Oh no. Less than I mean that's a good world to go on. So yep, there you go, guys. Language 2017 to 2020, so fairly recent. Shouldn't take much research. I hope you guys uh can do it and i look forward to your answers next all right, week. wait wait phoenix i i gotta guess we got I guess now we got uh <laughs> uh let's see we got la mercy cody la de la jungle <laughs> with uh director de la jungle joel harazeki <laughs> who only has written one film director of two this is his second film after The Pardon, a.k.a. Mbabaza. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Good one. I might have, I, you know, I was, th- once Phoenix said that, that's the movie I was thinking of. Too. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got to get up out of here, guys. Uh, Nate, All right. Well, <laughs> Nathan, let everybody know where you can, where they can find you. You can find me, uh, Nick Nathan, on Letterboxd <laughs> at Nick Spain. Uh, lots of, fun stuff over there also follow the tiktok we're grinding through on the tiktok uh, doing our best 100 movie poster scratch off series we're going to be doing part three today maybe part four later today as well so uh look out for that and take it away nathan yep you can find me on letterbox at nathan pig we'll be logging a ton of high profile movies here including Nomadland and The Father coming out soon, as well as some other giant classics. So, yeah, like La Jungle. Um, So please go ahead and check us out over there. Make sure you follow the show over on Twitter, at FilmCudPod. We do a ton of fun stuff to interact with you guys, talking movies, talking TV all the time. And however you listen to this, please make sure you go out and check out our other content. We guarantee we'll be your new favorite podcast just got to give us a couple of listens and thank you guys so much for listening absolutely and my name is phoenix cloud and you guys can find me on twitter at imho reviews one that's the number one and on letterbox under pa clouden and like nathan said and nick said follow us on twitter instagram tiktok wherever you have a social media platform we're there so uh give us a shout out we love talking to you guys and we will see you next week because we are out of here Peace.